You're listening to the Judicial Watch Weekly Update with Tom Fitton. Hey everyone, Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here with our weekly update on social media. Thanks for joining us this week. A lot going on uh, in Washington, D.C. As always, on the issue of corruption and Judicial Watch, of course, it's front and center. As always, combating and exposing government corruption. Uh, We've got uh, new lawsuits about FBI weaponization uh, by the Biden administration targeting Christians and Catholics, uh, plus more uh, cover-ups by the Biden administration related to its abusive and unprecedented raid on the home of President Trump. First up is an update on the uh, big news Judicial Watch broke last week that NIH, Fauci's agency, NIAID, was funding the creation of mutant viruses in a gain-of-function fashion in Wuhan, China. And this obviously was taking place, or maybe not obviously, but it was taking place in the run-up to uh, the COVID-19 pandemic, and uh, it made headlines all over the place. And it also got the intention of the Biden administration and EcoHealth. Now, we had uncovered these documents as a result of Judicial Watch FOIAs and the pressure of other litigation about uh, what EcoHealth was doing at the Wuhan Institute and elsewhere in China. And these documents comp- uh, showed uh, grant applications and reports about their activities there. And I encourage you, and we'll provide a link to the press release and underlying documents below to go and review the full material. Now, Fox News, uh, Fred Lucas, who writes over at foxnews.com, did a story on Judicial Watch's big find. U.S. funded research to create mutant viruses at Wuhan lab ahead of COVID-19 records show. EcoHealth Alliance, which worked with Wuhan Institute of Virology, insists COVID-19 did not originate from lab. So this is Fox News, um, again, reporting on what Judicial Watch disclosed, and they quote the documents that Judicial Watch found uh, with bat COVID coronaviruses that we've isolated or sequenced and using live virus or pseudovirus infection in cells of different origin or expressing different receptor molecules, we will assess potential for isolated virus and those with receptor binding sequences a sequence to spill over. We will do this by sequencing the spike or other receptor binding slash fusion protein genes from all our bat coronaviruses, creating mutants to identify how significantly each would need to evolve to use ACE2, CD26, DPP4, uh, parentheses, MERS coronavirus receptor, or other potential coronavirus receptors. So like ACE2, is a vehicle for the virus or the spike proteins uh, to enter um, cells. And it looks like that testing was done on uh, human humanized mice, hybrids, chimeras. And if that's not gain of function, I don't know what would be gain of function. They're, They're changing the coronavirus to make it more likely or to see if it would infect uh, human related cells. So big news, right? You know, they're calling the creation of mutant coronaviruses. Specifically, they're saying mutant coronaviruses. And uh, so if the, the description of gain of function couldn't be any more direct. So 
uh, Fox News was able to get a response from EcoHealth Alliance to this. Now, EcoHealth Alliance was the vehicle through which millions of dollars were spent on this gain-of-function research. So Fox News was able to get a response from EcoHealth Alliance, which was the vehicle through which uh, the Fauci agency and, frankly, other agencies, it looks like, was funding this gain-of-function research. An EcoHealth Alliance spokesperson told Fox News Digital uh, in an email response, EcoHealth Alliance did not support gain-of-function research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Any assertions to the contrary are based either on a on misinterpretation or willful misrepresentation of the actual research conducted. So what they're saying is that Judicial Watch and all of our experts are willfully, potentially misrepresenting what I just read to you or misinterpreting it. Well, I encourage you to look at the documents and look at other expert analysis of these documents and draw your own conclusions. Because the SARS-related research conducted by EcoHealth Alliance and the Wuhan Institute of Virology dealt with bat coronaviruses that had never been shown to infect people, let alone cause significant morbidity and or mortality in humans, by definition, it was not gain-of-function research. I, I don't understand what that means. I read to you what they were doing. They were creating mutant coronaviruses to see if they would infect humanized mice. That's the definition of gain of function. They were changing the function in a way to make it, their goal was to see if the spike proteins or other proteins uh, generated by the virus would infect uh, these receptors on cells. And they're saying that's not gain of function because they were working with coronaviruses that had not been shown to be harmful to humans before. That's the entire concern. Taking viruses and making them potentially more infectious to humans, including viruses that previously hadn't been infectious. So this is a nonsensical response, as best I can tell. The statement added, the bat coronavirus research conducted by EcoHealth Alliance and the Wuhan Institute of Virology could not have started the COVID-19 pandemic. And they referred to a statement by uh, NIH director, former NIH director Francis Collins, who said, analysis of published genomic data and other documents from the grantee demonstrate the naturally occurring bat coronaviruses studied under the NIH grant are genetically far distant from the SARS-CoV-2 and could not possibly have caused the COVID-19 pandemic. Any claims to the contrary are demonstrably false. So, um, first of all, why are they defending the Wuhan Institute? I mean, this is a Chinese government facility. So here we have the Chinese government, practically speaking, partnering with EcoHealth to tell us, no, there's no there there. And we already know, uh, based on other documents and other investigations, uh, that they were specifically looking away or trying to discount the lab um, uh, leak theory. So the idea that they know for certain whether this research that we were funding, we know everything about, and that there are other, aren't quote, other viruses more closely related, is just bunk. So of course we already know based on other documents and, and what's been going on on the lab leak issue that uh, you know, Collins and uh, 
Fauci and company were desperate to suppress the lab leak issue. Uh, there was censorship about those who raised this issue. And the idea that they have full knowledge about everything either EcoHealth was doing or the Wuhan Institute was doing with EcoHealth money and or the expertise that we were giving to Wuhan as a result of this um, gain-of-function technique that we were um, funding. So a few things about what Francis Collins said. They don't really know everything the Wuhan Institute was doing. We already know they're withholding information. Uh, and so they can't say with certainty that the techniques that were being used uh, and as described in this, in this uh, report or these reports that we uncovered uh, weren't being used in other coronaviruses. They simply don't know. And I bet you EcoHealth doesn't know as well. Certainly the Chinese have acted, the Chinese communists have acted as if they have something to hide because people have disappeared. Uh, people have been punished who wanted to talk about this. Data's gone missing, and as Judicial Watch has previously disclosed, they weren't cooperating with the investigation. So to say with certainty that you know that this type of technique, this funding, this program didn't result in the development of coronavirus, it's bunk. And I tell you, we have more documents about to come out, you know, which strongly suggest, even more so, uh, that there um, is good reason to believe that our gain-of-function research that we did in partnership with the Chinese communists, that the Fauci was doing, looks to me like on the down low, in the sense that they were pretending to be against gain-of-function or doing it very carefully when it was being done, when in fact they were just creating mutant coronaviruses in a haphazard way in China. Dangerous, dangerous activity. And then the NIH, they responded as well to Judicial Watch through Fox News here. Let's see what they had to say. The research we supported in China, where coronaviruses are prevalent, sought to understand the behavior of coronaviruses circulating in bats that have the potential to cause widespread disease. Okay, I understand that. Importantly, because of NIH-funded research to understand coronaviruses, the U.S. was able to move swiftly to develop vaccines against SARS-CoV-2 and save lives. Well, that's debatable. The NIH spokesperson continued, The administration also continues to work with partners around the world to press China to fully share information and to cooperate with international investigations to get to the bottom of the origins of COVID-19, a priority for this administration. NIH never approved any research that would make a coronavirus more dangerous to humans, an agency spokesperson told Fox. Well, isn't that all cagey? They're saying we, quote, didn't approve the research, although it's quite evident here that that type of research was being done, and they're suggesting there's more information to be had. So what I, how I read this is that the Biden administration is saying, well, you know, maybe Judicial Watch is on to something. We didn't, quote, approve it, but who knows? So here we've got the Biden administration semi-agreeing with Judicial Watch, it looks like to me, that there are issues to be further investigated, um, certainly, but in relation to the gain-of-function research that was being subsidized and directed 
through massive investments uh, by Fauci's agencies. Again, mutant coronaviruses. And, you know, we already know from previous Judicial Watch disclosures, and I think I talked about this, I don't know, maybe six weeks ago or so, that um, in the middle of this grant process, the NIH pushed back on EcoHealth saying, it looks like you're doing gain of function. It looks like there's gain of function going on here. We've got an issue. We have the internal emails where they're talking back and forth about it. So in addition to, to me, what is plain as day, gain-of-function research being described in the creation of mutant coronaviruses, as this research is ongoing, you have NIH people internally with Fauci's agencies people talking about, well, this looks like to be gain-of-function. So I, you know, I don't know how many ways you have to slice it before we recognize that it's gain-of-function research. Now, uh, I don't know if you saw Dr. Fauci. He's been on TV recently. He had a big interview with the New York Times. And he's still trying to defend the indefensible. Uh, his dishonest answers, in my view, to Rand Paul about gain of function. He said, for instance, and this is what the Biden administration is pushing to a little bit here, is that, well, you know, when I say gain of function, you know, it means differently. It means different things to different people. Well, everyone knows what he was being asked about. Were they messing with coronaviruses and increasing their gain of function or, or changing their function in a way that it meets the, meets the definition of gain of function? And he pretends, well, if you ban gain of function, it means, you know, we can't create vaccines. No one's saying that. And, of course, he knows that. So Fauci continues to be dishonest here. And, you know, the suggestion that by limiting gain-of-function research in these, uh, of these dangerous viruses or making viruses that evidently aren't dangerous yet to be dangerous is, is outrageously risky. And no one would agree with it. Certainly no government would knowingly fund it. So I don't understand what the controversy here is. I mean, it's one thing to know that there's a virus out there. It's infecting people. They need to miss, mess with it a little bit because they're creating a vaccine. You know, whether that's the end of the world or not, or whether the risk is worth the benefit, that's probably a fair, a fair debate to have. I don't think there's any real debate that you take viruses and make them more dangerous just to see what might happen. No, no, no. And the danger here is, and I said it before and I'll say it again, is that if there was a lab, let me take a step back. There are two debates, there are kind of several debates here, right? Whether there was a lab leak or whether the coronavirus, uh, COVID-19 was of natural origin, meaning it was out in the wild and somehow there was an animal to human transmission or something like that. And the alternative to that is the so-called lab leak theory, that it got out as a result of um, the virus of some type being worked on in the lab and someone caught it and it got out into the population. Now, when you talk about the lab leak theory, there are a few things that I think are raised as, a, as questions. Now, was it just a coronavirus that was a natural virus they had found that was leaked out or got out? So no, no engineering resulted in the creation of COVID-19. It just was a virus that was either knowingly or unknowingly within the lab. Or was it engineered? 
And I think the documents strongly suggest that COVID, uh, that the engineering was likely behind uh, the uh, emergence of COVID-19. And then there's the word leak. Leak suggests it's accidental. Now, if it's engineered and it gets out accidentally, obviously that's a scandal. But why are we presuming it got out accidentally? I mean, I think it's probably the more likely explanation, but given the Chinese communist government, I don't believe it's the only explanation. Was it a purposeful um, uh, 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 contagion put out there? I don't know. These is, this is why all these questions need to be asked. Certainly, figuring out whether it was engineered or natural will go a long way in figuring out why, how, and why it got out. So let's not pretend all these questions have been answered and everyone is innocent. No, no, no. Too many people have died. Too many societies, uh, frankly, the whole world has been disrupted as a result of this contagion. And I tell you, uh, there's got to be accountability. And Congress has got to get on the ball here. Uh, the government needs to get on the ball here because, as I said, uh, gain of function isn't just going on in China, it's going on here in the United States, whether it's official or unofficial, it's happening all over the place. We've documented it. And so uh, we're whistling past the graveyard in terms of the potential consequences. Uh, we've already seen what the potential consequences are if COVID-19 was, uh, if it was that, if that was an engineered virus. But what, else, what other engineered viruses are being worked on? What other viruses are being re-engineered? or being changed through gain of function, being turned into mutants. Can you imagine the damage? And you know, we're, we're talking about the erasure of the human race potentially if the wrong viruses get out that have been engineered in a way that I can't even imagine. And this is why when you see some of these medical experts talk about it, they're kind of so upset because they know the danger involved here. We're playing with fire. So as I said, more is coming. So stay tuned. Uh, but this coronavirus scandal, uh, we're, just, we're just skimming the top. And thank God for Judicial Watch because we wouldn't know virtually anything about what went on here if not for our diligence, our investigators, and our lawyers, and of course, and you, dear follower, who are spreading the word out about what I'm sharing with you. So Judicial Watch just filed a major Freedom of Information Act lawsuit in partnership with Catholic Vote, uh, which is a community of patriotic Americans who believe that the timeless truths of the Catholic faith are good for America. It makes its mission to inspire every Catholic in America to live out the truths of our faith in public life. So it's a political group of Catholics. And um, the Catholic Vote Civic Action, um, along with Judicial Watch, had filed Freedom of Information Act requests of the FBI and the Justice Department uh, related to an intelligence document that had been leaked uh, showing that there was interest in the FBI in targeting and spying on and treating Catholics like terrorists. Completely outrageous. The document's so outrageous that when it became, when it was leaked, 
both the FBI and the Biden Justice Department denounced it and said it wasn't of the quality and, uh, you know, they didn't agree with it. But nevertheless, it was created and it looks like, according to Jim Jordan, disseminated within the FBI uh, in a way that should um, really cause grave concern for any Christian and certainly Catholics who um, feel like they're going to now be under the gun uh, because they dare hold different cultural values on public policy matters than the leftists running the Biden administration. Uh, so we had filed this request back in February, uh, or back in March, shortly after uh, this document was leaked. This document, I think it was created in January of this year. And in February 2023, an FBI, the in document was leaked um, that revealed the FBI targeting, quote, of Catholics who adhere to traditional beliefs on abortion and other cultural issues. Uh, the, the leaked documents have been condemned by several federal and state officials, as well as clergy, including the Bishop of the Diocese of Richmond, because it came out of the Richmond um, office of the FBI, who called the memo a threat to religious liberty. I dare say that's a mild uh, condemnation of it. Uh, on March 8th, Judicial Watch and Catholic Vote sent four FOIA requests to the FBI for all emails, you know, and other documents uh, from the following FBI headquarters officials, uh, the director, Chris Ray, the deputy director, the assistant director, the general counsel, uh, and the other top staff at the FBI um, about any documents uh, detailing, you know, based on keywords that would pick up uh, uh, discussions about this document. And I'm just going to read you some of the keywords to show you just how egregious the violation of the First Amendment was planned by the FBI. Catholic, Latin mask, radical traditionalist Catholics, uh, church militant, Southern Poverty Law Center, by the way, which is a far left, left wing interest, you know, far left extremist group uh, that uh, has a habit of targeting conservative organizations and calling them hate groups and getting people to investigate them, which is literally what happened here as well. Pope Francis, Vatican II, Second Vatican Council, Rosary, etc. And of course, you know, the FBI uh, didn't want to give us the documents. As I recall from the lawsuit, you know, the FBI said, you know, can we get back to you? Or they sought some clarification. And, you know, we went back to them and we never heard from them again. So they were sitting on it. Similarly, we asked uh, Garland's office for documents about this intelligence memo. And it's crickets from them. So here we have the Justice Department and the FBI refusing to follow federal law on records, the Freedom of Information Act. Now, these agencies are charged with enforcing the law, and right now they're violating the law, um, and a law that is uh, allowing Judicial Watch and Catholic Vote to ask about their potential um, violations of civil rights of countless Americans based on religion. Our weaponized and corrupt government agencies have demonstrated a pattern of contempt for justice and the rule of law by prioritizing partisan ideology and agendas over the protection of the American people, in particular those with whom they disagree politically, said our client Catholic Vote President Brian Birch. We are demanding transparency from our government and determined, and are determined to uncover just how high up this anti-Catholic bigotry goes. Now, here's the document that was released to Uncover DC. Um, I think it was uh, 
the author was a former FBI guy, so I guess, you know, I guess we all can guess how it was leaked to him. Uh, but it's a unclassified for official use document. FBI Richmond assesses the increasingly observed interest of racially or ethnically motivated violent extremists, RMVEs, they have acronyms for everything, in radical traditionalist Catholic ideology, RTC. So they just make up these terms almost certainly presents opportunities for threat mitigation through the exploration of new avenues for tripwire and source development. And they talk about these radical traditionalist Catholics uh, as being, uh, you know, opposed to abortion and uh, a radical LGBTQI. Um, I'm not quite sure uh, how many letters there are now, but that extremist agenda. And uh, they're evidently a target, or at least were a target. This document supposedly has been pulled, but I suspect that it still lives on, or echoes of it live on elsewhere, which is why one of the reasons we're asking for the documents. And so when you go through this document, and I encourage you to review it, it's available on our website, or through our website, uh, they talk about this tradi you know, radical traditional Catholic movement, and you have the FBI analyzing Vatican II and what Vatican II did and other Catholic um, uh, debates uh, about um, the Latin Mass and what some groups think about the Latin Mass within the Catholic faith versus other groups. I mean, what the heck is the FBI doing an analysis of debates about dogma and tradition within the Catholic Church? And when, this is the key language here that it's bear, it bears repeating. Exploration of new avenues for tripwire trip and source development. That means getting parishes and members of the Catholic Church to turn each other in if they're, quote, too radical. Tripwire means something, see something, say something, right? It's quite specific here, and I'm going to go to that section where they talk about the tripwire development. Nonetheless, the current trend of RMVEs, racially or ethnically motivated violent extremists, in radical traditionalist Catholic ideology, I didn't realize that the Ku Klux Klan liked Catholics. It's just crazy. I mean, that's, this, is, this is the FBI today. Provides new opportunities to mitigate this threat through outreach to traditional Catholic parishes and the development of sources with the placement and access to report on any of these folks seeking to use social media sites or places of worship as a facilitation platforms to promote violence. So obviously anyone who promotes violence, you know, there's no, nothing awful about that. But the way they describe what is radical and what you should be on the watch for would cover traditional Catholic teaching on areas of homosexuality, transgenderism, and the right to life, among other issues. And they're targeting specifically social media sites of Catholic organizations, and they're talking about going and talking to par parishes to have them turn in members of the parish and members of the Catholic faith who are tripping their wires that the FBI is set up to try to catch these bad guys. 
So this is, this is where we stand, and they don't want to turn over any documents about this. So they denounce it, but now they're hiding documents about it. How does that work? So I suspect, and this is, this is typical of what's been going on with the Biden administration, is you get these left-wing groups, these radical extremists, that want the FBI to target their political enemies, and the FBI and DOJ obliges. You saw that with the targeting by um, uh, leftist school boards of parents, and they wanted uh, the DOJ and Garland to investigate them, so they started treating parent, parents as terrorists. They've been targeting pro-lifers um, since Roe's been overturned uh, with um, you know, basically dubious enforcement of laws related to protests outside abortion clinics. And they went after one guy uh, who was found previously to have done nothing wrong and tried to try him over a scuffle he got into that, in, that involved protecting his young son from some pro-abortionist. And of course you have the January 6th craziness where you have uh, the Justice Department and the FBI engage in a massive effort to target those who disputed the January, excuse me, the 2020 elections. And now we have the FBI, again, uh, doing the, the, the acting as a vehicle for the left in targeting traditional Catholics who oppose the Biden administration's cultural agenda and the far left cultural agenda generally. So uh, this, this, is a, this is, again, a further indication uh, that the FBI represents, um, the way it's been used in recent years, you know, a threat to our civil liberties too often for those of us who have conservative values. And I, uh, Director Ray was talking to uh, Congress this week trying to justify his budget. I think it's $11 billion dollars. Do you know the FBI budget annually is about $11 billion? It's, it's more or less $11 billion. It's probably about 10 right now. They're seeking more money, as always. They have 37,000 employees, 13, which includes, I think, 13,000 FBI special agents. So 37,000 people working at the FBI. I mean, that's the equivalent of a, of a, of a, um, of a small army. I think I talked about this. On, yes, I did go on Fox News uh, earlier this week. Let's run a clip of that. We just sued with Catholic Vote today uh, or yesterday. I think it was today or yesterday uh, for records about the FBI's targeting of traditional Catholics, you know, wanting to spy on churches and parishes. Yeah. Uh, you know, the idea that uh, the FBI can be trusted in light of all these abuses you know, he's asking for $11 billion to get 37,000 people working at the FBI, 13,000 yeah. special agents. That's the size of many countries' armies. And I just wanted you to expound on that. I've got about 30 seconds for you, Tom, but we're talking about Catholics, traditional Catholics, and the memo the FBI leaked that literally is categorizing them as racist, white supremacist, and violent people. Where do we stand? What's the recourse on this, Tom? Well, they pulled the memo after it was leaked, uh, but, you know, we're asking for the documents. Well, wh what was behind this? Who was, who was authorizing this? How was it handled? Is there other type of investigations like this, like this that's happening? And they've been giving us the runaround.
Merrick Garland's right. office has been giving us the runaround, and Ray has been giving us the runaround. Hmm. And now we're in federal court over it. I don't know about you, but I think the FBI is too big, too powerful, and needs to be significant, cur significantly curtailed in its powers and redirected in the least to focus on protecting the American people from the sorts of crimes we expect the FBI to investigate, bank robbing, kidnapping, transnational terrorism, uh, Hunter Biden, you know, that sort of thing, rather than targeting people going to church. So you shouldn't have to worry about going to church and having an FBI sitting next to you who's being run by the FBI as a source against you. It's just outrageous. So we'll find out what we can find out through this FOIA lawsuit. I suspect we'll get the documents in a few months. Uh, but, um, you know, we just can't rely on the FBI to say, oh, we should have done this. Trust us, we're going to stop. No, 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 no. That's not the way it works. So we're proud to be able to do this work with Catholic Vote, and I'll keep you updated. So stay tuned for future updates and future weekly updates from Judicial Watch. So the Justice Department and the Biden administration has engaged in unprecedented abuse of President Trump with the raid over uh, this manufactured document dispute. To bring you up to date on that, there's a grand jury investigating uh, Trump over that, uh, run by special counsel Jack Smith. Now, these are documents that the president had in his custody, evidently from his time at the White House, uh, some of which we're told were more classified, and we're now being told he wasn't allowed to have any of that. And Judicial Watch had previously engaged in litigation against um, or over records that Bill Clinton had kept in his sock tour that were uh, obviously classified and uh, should have been turned over to archives. And the court in that case and the Justice Department's position in that case was, Judicial Watch, you're out of luck. You know, the president has discretion to uh, designate any documents he wants as personal. And the Justice Department lawyer in the court hearing in this big case uh, told the court that uh, if the president has documents after he leaves the Oval Office, uh, they're presumptively personal. But they changed the rules to target, harass, and abuse Trump. And the reports are uh, that it was uh, generated um, by uh, political appointees of Joe Biden and the Justice Department. Uh, the FBI wasn't too keen on doing this. Of course, you know, this is bureaucrats defending, um, you know, pointing fingers at each other because they recognize something was off about the way Trump was treated. So there's a lot of, lot of criminality, in my view, not by Trump, but by the abuse of Trump uh, by the Justice Department and, frankly, the National Archives, which, again, uh, fought us to keep documents away from us and in the hands of Bill Clinton, even though they were obviously, quote, presidential records under their current analysis, but changed their tune when it came to Trump. And so we've been asking for documents about uh, the uh, Trump uh, dispute with the archives, and they've been withholding all, virtually all of the documents we've been asking for. 85% of the records that were responsive to our requests have been withheld from Judicial Watch and the American people. We had sued um, for the records back in, when did we sue? 
Uh, we sued last year in August of 2022, so it was shortly after the raid, I suspect. And uh, since then, 1,276 pages of over 8,000 records about the document dispute and raid on the home of President Trump have been released. So that's only 15% of the records. And uh, all the records are up on our internet site, so you can look at them there. And we had sued for all the records regarding the referral from the National Archives to the Justice Department, an unprecedented referral regarding the records management procedures of former President Trump. Um, this request includes all related records communications between any official or employee of the archives and any official or employee of the Department of Justice or any other branch, department, agency, or office of the federal government. That would mean the White House. Any records regarding the retrieval of records from President Trump or any individual or entity in acting on his behalf by the National Archives and Records Administration. This request includes related records of communications between any official or employee of NARA, the National Archives, and President Trump or any individual or entity acting on his behalf. Now, the records uncovered by Judicial Watch's lawsuit include information further confirming how the Biden White House was directly involved in the dispute by initiating uh, a special access uh, request that advanced the FBI investigations of Trump's records. So typically, these are Trump's records. Uh, they should have been treated as personal records. He turned over 15 boxes of records, uh, and he was asserting executive privilege, which it, it was even beyond executive privilege documents because they were, practically speaking, personal records as precedent uh, from uh, and and prior Justice Department and National Archives uh, positions had been, and so the Biden White House intervened and waived the executive privilege, allowing the FBI investigation to advance. So, without that key intervention by the Biden White House, uh, the FBI investigation wouldn't have advanced. Not that they wanted it to advance. And the Justice Department would have had less excuse to raid his home. Although, given the way it happened, probably they didn't need an excuse. They were just going to do it no matter what. Uh, but so the whole point here is, or a big point here is, that the National Archives is talking about transparency and how the American people have a right to know. And that's why they want to get all these documents from President Trump. Well, why are they hiding 85% of documents about this unprecedented dispute with Trump? And we haven't even started. I don't think we've sued for records about the dispute with Biden. And we now know at the same time they were pretending Trump was a criminal, Biden had records and they knew he had records. And records he had no business having. Because some of them were classified from his time as a senator. No raid of Trump, by the way. No raid of Biden, by the way. No subpoena. Now I guess there's a, a, a special counsel just looking at the documents issue. They don't want to look at the Hunter issue and the RICO corruption there. What a racket the Justice Department is running against President Trump. What a racket the National Archives is running against President Trump. And to me, it's naked election interference. It's brazen election interference. And they're trying to jail him. I mean, that's the goal here is to put him in jail, whether it be through this investigation. Obviously, the New York indictment's already out there. Uh, they're planning in Georgia, it sounds like, um, 
the leftist prosecutor down there to indict him for daring to raise questions about the way Georgia conducted their elections there, as he has a right to do not only as president but as a candidate. I mean, the left has decided the rules of the road don't matter anymore in America. We're going to jail our political opponents. Doesn't matter if, he, if he's a former president. Doesn't matter if he's running for president. We're going to jail him. And it's going to be obviously political, but we don't care because the media is not going to do anything about it. Congress is, relatively speaking, hapless. So at least we're in court trying to educate Americans about the corruption here. But this is a serious threat to the rule of law in our constitutional republic, these, these abuses. And just because people aren't talking about this records dispute much anymore doesn't mean it's not important. I mean, they're trying to prosecute him over it. They had Mike Pence in the other day. Again, another, just the Justice Department and the Biden administration just blowing up the idea of executive privilege. I mean, executive privilege typically is advice that the president um, seeks and receives while he's president is protected. It's, it's just part of our constitutional system. And now discussions between a president and vice president aren't even protected. Why? Because it's Trump. Why? Because they were disputing and there was the issue at hand was the dispute about the 2020 election. So you, if you're a president and you ask the wrong questions or seek the wrong advice or seek advice about the wrong issue, namely disputing your Democratic opponent, they're going to try to jail you. That's what this is about. Again, this is not about, oh, you should vote for Trump. This is Trump should not be punished and abused and have his civil rights violated because he's engaged in politics and he's successfully engaged in politics. He obviously was president. He's likely to be, you know, the polls are, he's probably going to be the nominee. I don't know that for sure for the Republicans again. And they're trying to jail him. What an embarrassment to America, right? I mean, they're pretending, you know, the media's pretending, you, pretending it's normal. It's not normal. It's not normal. Other countries must be looking at us thinking, well, you know, well, the United States used to be something special. No more. It's just as bad as the rest of the world. In terms of disrespect for the rule of law, jailing political opponents. We're getting more like Moscow and Beijing every day. And thank God Judicial Watch is still around and some other intrepid investigators and a little bit of noise from Congress about some of these abuses, but not nearly enough. Not nearly enough. But we're in court. We're not going away. We've got more lawsuits about this abuse of Trump. More lawsuits are coming about other abuses of Trump. So uh, you can bet Judicial Watch will never stand down uh, when it comes to this egregious assault on a Republican form of government. Now, those of you who have been following Judicial Watch for a long time, or even recently, know that we're second to none in uh, trying to preserve and protect free and fair and lawful elections here in the United States. We've been successful in uh, lawsuits and settlements related to lawsuits that have cleaned up to date in the last, just over the last year, over two million names in California, New York City, 
North Carolina, Colorado, and uh, we stopped um, um, a democratic rigging of elections in Maryland with outrageous, uh, with an, uh, that was um, designed to put forward an outrageous partisan gerrymander. And there's another lawsuit we have ongoing, uh, in addition to our efforts to clean up the rolls in Illinois, that uh, is a challenge on behalf of a congressman there, Congressman Boston, other voters, Illinois' practice or law of counting ballots that arrive after Election Day for up to two weeks, including ballots that are not postmarked. And uh, so that challenge is proceeding. And interestingly, the Democratic Party of Illinois tried to intervene in the case. Now, sometimes in pub these types of litigations, uh, you have outside parties who have an interest in the litigation try to intervene. You sometimes hear people file amicus briefs, which essentially are, well, not essentially, which you know, uh, are defined as friend of court briefs uh, that help the court um, think about, this, uh, about the issues before it. Uh, but if you intervene, you become a defendant, practically speaking, or a plaintiff in certain circumstances. And in this case, the Democratic Party wants to intervene to defend and become a defendant in this Illinois lawsuit. Now, we objected to uh, that happening, and the court at the lower level agreed with us. Uh, in, its, in the ruling and opinion on the Democratic Party of Illinois' motion to intervene, the judge in the case held that his participation would delay this time-sensitive case. Uh, the Democratic Party of Illinois cannot meet its burden to show that its interests will be adequately represented by the parties to the case. As a result, the party is not entitled to intervene as of right, separately because allowing the party to intervene would threaten to delay this time-sensitive case further. The court, in its discretion, denies the motion seeking permission to intervene. Now, um, you know, the whole fight is about what Fed Election Day is. Federal law defines Election Day as the first Tuesday after the first Monday in the November of every even-numbered year. The initial complaint that we filed states that despite clear, Congress's clear statement regarding a single national Election Day, Illinois has expanded Election Day by extending by 14 days the date for receipt and counting of vote-by-mail ballots. Judicial Watch points out that the current Illinois election law allows vote-by-mail ballots received at the 14 days after the polls close on Election Day to be counted as if they were cast and received on or before Election Day. Illinois law also provides that even vote-by-mail ballots without postmarks shall be counted if received up to 14 days after Election Day if the ballots are dated on or before Election Day. The board, uh, so we got information that in 2020, the number of ballots received after Election Day could materially affect the unofficial election results. Illinois' own data indicates that Illinois received 266,417 vote-by-mail ballots statewide during the period from November 3rd through November 17th. Most of the vote-by-mail ballots were received after Election Day, which would mean that as many as 4.4% of votes cast in 2020 were received after Election Day. By counting on timely and illegal ballots received after Election Day and diluting plaintiffs' timely cast and received ballots, plaintiffs the folks we represent, defendants acting under color of Illinois law have deprived and are depriving plaintiffs of rights protected under the First Amendment and Fourteenth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution in violation of law. So this is a pretty big lawsuit, don't you agree? 
And the court said, you know, Illinois Democrats, you can't participate. It's too important. The Illinois government is more than capable of defending this lawsuit. If you want to share your opinions on the issues before us here as we can move forward, you can, but you're not participating because it's going to muck up the lawsuit. Now, typically, when that happens, uh, uh, losing interveners disappear. They either uh, file amicus briefs, as suggested by the court, but in this case, the Illinois Democratic Party appealed this decision. And so we had an argument last week before uh, the federal appellate court uh, about the Illinois Democratic Party's effort to intervene uh, to ensure that ballots, and in my view, or as our lawsuit alleges, are improperly counted after Election Day, uh, and uh, for 14 days after Election Day. And so uh, I, think it's, I think it's quite telling that uh, that party has such an interest in ensuring uh, this process that is so at odds with law and so at odds with fair and free elections. But there you have it. Now, I don't know how uh, it's going to go. I don't, you know, if they win, they win and they're in the case. You know, we'll just have to fight more folks in the case. Uh, but I tell you, um, you know, Judicial Watch isn't just playing around here and coming out and yelling about stuff. We're in court fighting hard for the rule of law, in this case, on election integrity, and we're facing, you know, pretty big opponents. I mean, the Illinois Democratic Party is represented by, you know, big-time lawyers, as you might imagine. I think it's the law firm of the infamous Mark Elias. I think his partner was arguing. Uh, so, you know, these are not, um, these are pretty high stakes. And your Judicial Watch is in court uh, trying to, in, in the case of Illinois, uh, protect and preserve the right to vote there and vindicate the right to vote that's diluted uh, by votes that are improperly counted. Uh, but it would send a signal nationwide if we were to win uh, that this post-counting of, this post-election day counting of ballots that arrive after election day are anathema to the rule of law and free and fair elections. And frankly, there are, you know, anathema to the rule of law is a long way of saying it's illegal. So, you know, this is a big issue in 2020. It was, it's going to remain, a, it was just a big issue last year, 2022, where you had some jurisdictions out west, they couldn't figure out who was winning or losing for days and weeks afterwards. Now, some of that isn't because they were counting ballots that arrived after election day, but you know, I tell you, you count ballots that arrive after election day, I mean, you're turning election day into a joke. And, and you're just providing opportunities to mess with the results. That's the danger of it. Does it mean that results were messed with? Not necessarily, but in the least, we need to have a system that people can have confidence in. And in this case, you can only have confidence in the system if they comply with the law. And we allege that they don't comply with the law, and as a result, our client's civil rights are being violated. So election integrity, by the way, is the civil rights issue of our time. So that's big news there, um, and there's been other some other good 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 news on the election law fight. Just so you know, the 11th Circuit, which oversees Florida, which you know the jurisdiction covers Florida, upheld Florida's election laws that were uh, quite modest uh, in trying to uh, regulate drop boxes a bit more strictly and things like that. And you remember the left went crazy when they changed those rules. 
And the 11th Circuit said there's no problem with what Florida did. This is, you know, again, the left hates election integrity for, in my view, for obvious reasons, that they want to be able to steal elections when necessary. So the North Carolina Supreme Court, which got more conservative after an election last year, uh, just restored and threw out prior partisan and ideological rulings against uh, voter ID. I mean, the North Carolina people had approved voter ID, um, a pretty moderate voter ID law that I would actually strengthen if I were them. And the court said, you know, this is, you know, we can't have courts acting as super legislatures. This voter ID is perfectly normal and reasonable. Uh, you're, you're just pretending it's racist when it's not. Uh, you know, you know what the left does. And uh, so now we have a voter ID law in, Cal in North Carolina that had been put on hold for years by activist liberal courts that now is going to be the law of the land in Cal North Carolina. So some good news. Elections are getting slowly but surely more cleaner. There's a lot wet more to go, a lot, a lot further to go. Uh, but, um, you know, Judicial Watch is cleaning up the rolls. Some states are strengthening election integrity measures. Efforts to derail those measures in court have largely failing, and Judicial Watch is more directly challenging current regulations that undermine election integrity that are unlawful, as we're doing in Illinois. So just great work all around. Uh, thank you for your support that allows us to do this great work. I encourage you to support Judicial Watch uh, um, either for the first time, if you haven't already, uh, or again, if you already are, uh, because the, the fights never stop. Corruption never takes a holiday, so Judicial Watch can never rest. It's heavy lifting 24-7 at Judicial Watch for the rule of law, for our Constitution, and for our great nation. With that, I'll see you here next time on the Judicial Watch Weekly Update. Thanks for listening to the Judicial Watch Weekly Update with Tom Fitton. For more information, visit www.judicialwatch.org because no one is above the law.